I have a word I want to share with you. So I, I, I want to just talk for a few moments. And I want to talk. Uh, I, this is a message I've been preaching. I preached uh, earlier this year. And the Lord captivated my heart with the message. And he really challenged me about taking it from place to place and communicating it to church cultures. And so I, I want to do my I want to do right and start here uh, today because sometime I want to say to uh, pastors, sometime God will give you a message for a season and he'll give you a message as your ministry. And so don't ever feel so pressured to be so innovative uh, that you can miss out and try to move on to something else when God says, no, my glory is hovering here. You know, and Mother Death said the light, flashlight is on, on your phone. You was flashing. I just wanted to tell you because I didn't want you to keep on in the service. <laughs> she kept putting the spotlight on me. I was like, because <laughs> I was like, when the glory is hovering, and when I saw the light, I'm like, Lord, is this a sign? I'm like, no, it's flashlight. Amen. <laughs> That's my mother. That's my mother, Desi Fox. Um, but no, really, John the Baptist preached the same message. He, did, he didn't feel pressure to go to something else, do something else. Or be somebody else. To the point when people tried to make him the Messiah. He said no no I'm clear. I am not the Messiah. I'm I'm just the voice crying in the wilderness. My job is to prepare the way. And we're going to mess up when we try to do and be something that God never called us to be. It's nothing wrong with gleaning. It's nothing wrong with learning. And being inspired by other people. But don't let your inspiration turn into personal frustration. You know, even when we come together in our fellowships with our churches, when we come together as musicians, learn how to celebrate one another without the concept that if I celebrate you, I will become you. Because <laughs> that's not a healthy church culture. And, and then that fixes it. When you start putting yourself in the center, that means everything you're doing, even your serving, is to serve you. That ultimately it's going to serve you. So use your exposure to other people's ministries, other people's lives, the good things. Use that exposure as inspiration, but not frustration. Don't, don't start saying, oh, well, y'all's church is three years old. Well, that means when our church gets three years old, we should be doing what you're doing. Not necessarily. We all start at different points, even if we start at the same time. We all start at different points, even if we all start at the same time. I'm going to say it one more time that it is seeping you. We all start at different points, even if we start at the same time. Because we're dealing with different demographics. We're dealing with different backgrounds. And we are dealing with different assignments. We don't all have the same assignment. Amen? Amen. And so one assignment I believe the Lord has given me to really press as I've been meeting with pastors and their staff and pastors and their elders, is the ministry of reconciliation. I want to talk about that today. The ministry of reconciliation. It comes from a message the Lord gave me entitled, We All Take Turns. We all take turns. You know, Apostle Paul uses this word, uh, reconciliation. He says, we all have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And so sometimes when we talk about what ministries do your church have, so we got music ministry, we got a dance ministry, we got an ushers ministry, media ministry. But out of all of those ministries, the core of the ministry of the church is supposed to be the ministry of reconciliation. Our job is to reconcile people back to God. 
the core ministry of the church is reconciliation. Now, if I were to advertise that I'm going to teach a message today on reconciliation, not much hype comes with it. Now, if I told you, be here because I'm going to teach you, give you 10 steps how to grow your church and multiply your church, double its size by next year this time. That's very, even if I don't do a good job at it, it's a good pull, you know, it's a good pull. Uh, but uh, this minister of reconciliation in this teaching, not only is it going to grow your church, it's going to save your church. Some of the same, some of the same issues that you're going to have as a church of a thousand are some of the same issues you have right now. They don't go away. People are going to always be peopling. And the more people you have, the more people problems you have. And sometimes it's not different problems as much as the same problems multiplied. And so it's going to, after a while, it's going to be your leadership, your church is going to be a reflection of your capacity as a leader. You know, the reason why some of us stay at the size we are is not always God. It's God can't trust you yet. God can't trust you yet because God in his goodness, God in his what? God in his goodness will sometimes hold things back off of you because he knows what he would release to you based upon what you desire would actually hurt you instead of help you. It would actually break you instead of build you. The core ministry of the church is reconciliation. I want you to write this down. Forgiveness is not a moment. It's a posture. It's not a moment. It's a posture. We have to be postured in forgiveness. Because a sound check on Sunday, somebody's going to always say something off. And some musician is going to take offensive to some cue. Right? Somebody's going to show up late and throw everything off. And some people are going to offend you without the intention of offending you. And so because they will, you have to make a decision. Am I going to hold this the rest of the service? And wait to our follow-up meeting? Or am I going to hold it for two weeks? I'm serious, y'all. There are people who have walked around in church for months offended and upset with somebody and they have no idea. You've got to be postured in forgiveness. In other words, someone who's postured in forgiveness is mean, I forgive you even without you asking me. It don't mean we won't address it at some point. But I can't afford to allow unforgiveness to hold up space in me. Because where unforgiveness is, my creativity can't flow. Well, unforgiveness is, hallelujah, come on, my, my, my gift can't flow. I can't preach effectively. I can't minister effectively. That's why I'm one of those people. Now, confrontation is my strength and my weakness. All right? No, really. Uh, bishop Hall, and our Bishop Hall is my father and God. He's our presiding bishop. And oftentimes, uh, you know, I'm very confrontational. So over the years, he had to balance me out. Like, everything shouldn't be confronted, and everything shouldn't be confronted so quickly. Right? So I had to make sure that when I confronted, that I confronted in the right spirit. Uh, I always had the right intentions, but maybe not the right movement with it. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'm one of those people that if something is on me, I got to have, I got to say something before I preach. Because I can't preach freely. No, really. 
Really, even if it's, hey, is, are we good? Are you okay? Did, did I do something to you? Like, I want to get this out. And then nothing is more frustrating when the person who's holding the offense is not ready to give it up. So they will respond, well, I'm good. And you're clearly not. So now I have to make a decision. I'm not going to allow where you are in the process to hinder where I am in the process. So if you're going to choose to hold it, I'm going to let you hold it by yourself. Amen. Forgiveness is not a moment. It's a posture. Look at the person beside your practice. Tell them I forgive you. Now, why do I say it's a posture, not a moment? Because there are going to be times you're going to have to forgive somebody more than once over the same thing. And, it, and, and we understand that it may be a reoccurring thing, but there are moments it may not be a reoccurring. It may be, uh, you, may, you may be triggered by a memory. And so when you get triggered by that memory, you have to decide and make a decision and remind yourself, uh-uh, I let that go. Love don't keep records. Love don't keep records. Love don't keep records. Let me tell you something. Anytime I come into a meeting where there's tension or where there's frustration, where there's a difference of opinion, where there's a fallout, (laughs) sitting at my desk with two chairs in front of me, it's almost like a competition. Whether it's a husband and a wife, whether it's the MD and the praise and worship leader, whether it's the media team and the assistant pastor, they're sitting in front of me and everybody's trying to win a point. Right? To the point, most of the time, the other person is not even listening to the person who's talking. They're taking advantage of this time to prepare their rebuttal. Right? So after a while, reconciliation is not the goal. Winning the argument is the goal. And so you make a good point. So, oh, you get a point. You get a point. Oh, you oh, that was a really good point. You get two points for that. And then, you are, and then we end up becoming referees. Making calls on who wins the argument. The only challenge is if one of you win, all of us loses. If one of us win, we all lose. Well, that's in, whether that's the marriage or whatever. So our job, please write this down. Our goal is not to win arguments, it's to win souls. Like when we come into this meeting, we all come into the meeting with the understanding that our goal is to reconcile. Now, if, if our goal is not to reconcile, what is the point of this two hour meeting? If you've already decided that you've come to the end and you're no longer going to be on the praise team, well, you know, why why are we going over this? If you made up in your mind, you're going to leave the church. Well, I love you regardless. You don't, you know, we love you. We're not mad at you. But if you feel like your season is up here, God bless you. Why have a two or three hour meeting if reconciliation is not the goal? And when you get postured in forgiveness, you don't allow people to hold the key to your peace. Because people want to create a narrative because you got peace. Oh, I know what you're thinking. What am I thinking? No, for real, I forgive you. (laughs) 
Oh, I know y'all going to talk about me. No, we, actually, we got a plan for the next diocese conference. What are you talking about? And that's not being funny. It doesn't mean you're not important. It means we can't waste any more energy in it. I am postured in forgiveness. Because a lot of times people will come with their frustrations and they will all they will see is what you did to them. And they will not acknowledge what you're what they're doing to you even at that moment. So we must be posture. Forgiveness is a posture. I never forget. I often tell the story going through, uh, you know, uh, with my father. And, you know, my father now has been my father more years than he wasn't my father. But every once in a while he can say something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one day he said to me, he was like, yeah, you just, you need to do better with your finances and blah, blah. I was like, Ooh, really? Well, if somebody would have taught me, you know, if somebody would have been there while, while I was growing up poor, you know, those triggers. Then I just said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to rob him of his leadership in my life because I forgave him. And reconciliation is not just letting it go, but restoring him back to his place. See, we're okay with to forgive people as long as we can forget them. But the truth is, in church, you're gonna, there are going to be moments you're going to have to still do ministry with the people in the same place that wounded you. No, we want to, we want to, oh, I forgive you. I ain't got to see you no more. Okay. That's some people. But how many people are you going to cut off like that? Relationships are hard. See, everybody want to be, people, a lot of people say they want to be married. They don't want to be married. They want a wedding. They want a wedding and they want sex without feeling guilty. The only challenge is you can't live in the bed. Look at your neighbor. Tell your neighbor a wedding is one thing and marriage is a whole nother thing. So we got to start reconciling. We've got to we've got to make it our culture. We got to put it in our language. It has to be our posture and our spirit, because if we don't adopt the grace of the Lord and the ministry of reconciliation, we're going to keep cutting until our body has no hands. We have no legs. We'll be immobile. All right. So then uh our ministries to be houses of reconciliation that means we must provide grace hear me not just for the sinners but also grace for the saints grace not just for sinners but also grace for the saints oh yeah because when sinners come in oh they get all the grace and in our mindset then when, when we when after you get saved especially if you grew up in holiness that means hey you didn't, you're delivered from everything. Right? you deliver from everything. You appeal. You, you wear your white. You wear your head coverings. You wear your sweeping skirts. And you got the look. The only challenge is some of us grew up in the house. So we come up talking about the world can't do me no harm. Some of us, they want the world. We learned what we learned in the church. We were lured in the church. We were tempted in the church. So what does the culture of reconciliation look like? How do we create it? Because the culture of reconciliation creates a healthy church culture. I'm really almost finished. Just because there is no culture of reconciliation in our churches, 
it does not mean there's not a need. There's always a need for people to be restored. And when the culture is not conducive to restoration and reconciliation, what do people do? They hide. They learn how to sin skillfully. They hide, and when they hide, you're taking those, you need to write this down, sin festers in darkness. Just because there's no cultural reconciliation does not mean there's not a need for it. How do you create this culture? You create it by your language. This one where you create the, the culture of reconciliation. So what do you mean your language? How do we discuss people in their failure? I understand there are going to be times in the ministry that we have to have a conversation with some of the leaders. And we may have to have some conversation with one of the elders. A young lady got pregnant. There was an extra matter affair. Somebody got, got in the news because they stole something, you know, and that's in the news. And we have to inform the leaders just so no one is taken off guard. But what's your language? When you bring it to the pastor, how do you bring it? When you share it with another leader, is it T? Is it I already knew? Is it, is it spiritually condescending? I told y'all, y'all wanted her up there, but I already knew. What, what do you say? And I'm going to tell you why this is important. Because the same people you're talking to got stuff with them too. So what they do in those moments, people start taking mental notes. This is how we handle it when somebody messes up. This is how we handle it when we find out something. This is, this is what we do to saints when they sin. Sinners get grace, but not saints. Mm. But because we all take turns, <laughs> create a language of reconciliation with your words. How do you also, how do you create the ministry of reconciliation? It's, it's how you preach holiness. No, we all preach holiness, but how do you preach it? Does your holiness preaching present holiness as something that's unobtainable? Holiness is right. Holiness is right. Holiness, yes, holiness is right. But the truth is, sometimes we in holiness going to be wrong. Oh, holiness is right. And I want you to preach against sin. I mean preach against sin. But after you keep preaching about sin, you need to preach about Jesus. Because I know my sin condition. Tell me that Jesus is the way out of it. We preach Jesus. How, how, so how do you preach about holiness? The Bible says Jesus is full of grace. Oh, y'all are Bible church. Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and, and truth. If there's all truth and no grace, you'll kill a person. All grace and no truth, you'll let them go to hell. There must be a balance of grace and truth. Don't no, preach holiness. Preach, I mean preach holiness. Go down the list if you need to. 
But make sure you include chores as you go down the list. Mm. We create it with our language. The mark of a good church is not seen by how they handle their winners, but how they handle their wounded. I'm telling you. Wait, you want to really create a, a healthy church culture? Center around your wounded. Speak life into the wounded. I, I always say this. Um, a lot of churches don't do uh, global missions. A lot of churches don't feed the hungry. A lot of churches don't do prison ministry. And everybody don't have the same assignment. But hear me. Every church needs to have some sort of outreach that's not connected to church membership. I'm talking about where church membership is not the goal. Because that reflects you. That reflects your value system. If the only time you're ministering to people is with the hope that you will come and join our church and fill our seats, then that means your ministry becomes about you and not Jesus. You must be okay with witnessing to somebody who then goes to another church. Because it's about souls, right? Uh-oh, uh-oh, I feel a little tension right there. I said, it's about souls, right? Well, we don't want to pray for you. Why did you go over there? Because everybody who birthed you is not the same people who raised you. Mm. I go to the prison and preach. I'm not preaching with the idea, oh, yeah, because look at all these brothers. They're going to get out of here and join my church. You know, some of them have life sentences. And there's no honorarium when I go there. And there's no live stream when I go. I remember not too long ago uh, when uh, Kanye and some of uh, and it went to the prison and did some uh, prison ministry and did a, the choir song. It was really great. But then the world starts saying, where are the churches at? Why are the churches are not doing this? I was like, churches have been doing prison ministry for a century. What are you talking about? We just didn't have cameras when we went. What do you mean by how you handle the wounded? Listen, you can't have a church culture of reconciliation without covenant understanding. What does covenant look like? Will we only hold on to people when it's convenient for us? When they make us look good? This is what I, uh, I pastor musicians. I pastor musicians. I pastor creatives. I'm a mentor to, and a spiritual covering to some gospel artists. I won't even throw out their names because it's, it's, it's not even important. Uh, I'm just making it as a reference for what I'm getting ready to say. Pastoring creative people is very complicated. I'm not talking about y'all, right? Very complicated because the very thing about them that allows us to enjoy their creativity is also the same thing when it's not submitted to God can wreak havoc in our churches. Right? And pastors and leaders who don't have the capacity for creative people, as soon as they become challenging, they want to dismiss them. Hear me? And I said to our leaders one time, you don't get to enjoy their gift if you're not willing to deal with their trauma. Yeah. 
You know, we say stuff like, oh, we don't want people out. We don't want people from other people's church. We want the crack addicts and we want the prostitutes. You say that. But do you really mean that? Because getting a drug addict off the street, as we have done sometimes, and cast demons out of them and pray for them. And then the next week we had to go back and get them again. Now, before you say, oh, my goodness, well, it didn't work. No, no, no. How many times did you have to come to the altar in your process, dealing with your addictions, dealing with your cycles? Ask your neighbor, how many times? How many times? Tell them, just give me an estimation. Give me an estimation. How many times? Thank you, online church. I want to ask the online church, how many times? How many times? Ask the person beside you. Tell them, just give me an estimate. How many times? You can't count how many times. And I'm not talking about the times that people know about. I'm talking about the times that people don't know about. Many of us hid in our serving so we wouldn't be exposed. When on the inside, we said, I really should be sitting in the audience today. Mm. What does covenant look like? Covenant is not about convenience. We're not in, it ain't covenant until it's been tested. You say you've been called to this church, it got to be tested. If you say that's your pastor, it's got to be tested. Hallelujah. If you, if you say you've been called to this ministry, it's got to be tested. Because you don't know how real it is until it's been tested. Anything in the factory of quality has to go through quality control. It got to go through inspection. Mm. I need to know that you can handle the weight. Even airplane wings, they take it through turbulence. Turbulence testing. So just in case you go through a storm, I know you can fly through the storm. Hallelujah. We got, we got a whole lot of church people who flock to ministries out of convenience. But as soon as they get challenged, and let me tell you something, all your challenge ain't spiritual challenges of rebuke. Sometimes your challenge is relationship with other people. And all of us got about five people in our churches that we would like to dismiss to fix the atmosphere. Ask the person with such asking, are you one of the ones that people want to dismiss? Are you one of the complicated people? Are you one of the people we don't know how to handle from Sunday to Sunday? But I want you to scream this at somebody. Tell them, you don't get to choose who God is going to use. You don't get to choose who God is going to send. And sometimes the people who are the complicated is your assignment. As a matter of fact, sometimes you don't know where you are in God until you gauge it by somebody's complicated personality. Oh, I love everybody. Oh, I, love, I mean, I love everybody. I love everybody. And then God will send you somebody and the, um, the embodies complicated, that embodies your frustration, that everything they do annoys you. Everything. Oh, okay. All right. Like some of y'all got somebody on your mind. Somebody, somebody shout, this is covenant. I'm not just a member of this church. I'm in covenant with this church. 
I'm not just a member. I, I don't just follow up behind my pastor. I'm not one of my pastor's fans. So my pastor ain't got to sign my book. Come on, somebody. I don't have to be my pastor's armor bearer. I am, I am in covenant with my leader. I'm in covenant. I'm in covenant. I'm in covenant. I didn't have to escape to come tell my pastor what somebody said about him. I stand right there and make the record clear. You will never feel comfortable to discuss my leader in my face. You will never be comfortable. I will never have to go and tell my bishop what they said. I won't have to tell my pastor what they said because I fixed it right where I stood. The only reason why they talk about your leader in front of you is because you walk in and out of the church with a question mark above your head. And where there's a question mark, there's always open to a response. But I am a statement. I am not a question. When it comes to my organization, when it comes to my bishop, when it comes to the Ram DNB, when it comes to Ram Church International, when it comes to the River Church, come on, when it comes to restoration, I'm a statement. I am not a question. It's a period and an exclamation mark. I'm just saying this because people will ride your bandwagon when it's convenient for them. When, it, when it's convenient. When it's convenient. But shout at somebody tell them, I'm in covenant. I'm in covenant. And when you're in covenant, when you're in covenant with the ministry, you operate in the ministry of reconciliation. I know you call yourself an elder, but the job of an elder is the ministry of reconciliation. Oh, oh pastor don't need to be in this. Oh, no, he don't need. Oh, pastor. Well, let's go get pastor. Why? No, no. Why? No, no. We're mature enough. Let's reconcile. No, well, we need to get somebody else. The only reason why we need to get somebody else in this is if you can't handle it. If you can't handle me saying, listen, no, the way you spoke to me, I was offended by it. I thought it was too brash. It was too aggressive. But hey, I'm not staying mad. I'm just telling you, this is what happened. So let's discuss this and let's forgive each other. And guess what? It may happen again three weeks from now. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to flick off in church. We're just going to have another discussion until we can reconcile and get this right. This is between us. So we don't need two elders and a deacon and pastor to be tied up in our human stuff. It ain't even spiritual warfare. It's just a human condition. Tell your neighbor, everything is not the devil. Because whether it's your fraternity, they deal with it. Come on. In the military, they deal with it. Come on. Any organization, the Masons, they deal with it. The Eastern Stars. There's no organization that don't deal with human issues. They have humans. Hmm. So it's covenant. And so when it's covenant, we can listen. We reconcile. Hey, we work. Listen, because you know what? This is not about us. Tell your neighbor, take yourself out of the center. This is about Jesus. This is about the Lord's ministry. Because the longer we stay unreconciled, the ministry is not running at its optimum speed. <sighs> You're still rehearsing the conversation. You're still rehearsing the trauma. Just rehearsing it. And, I mean, listen, at some point, and this is, this is how we get to reconciliation. you got to love people enough. You know, when you're their friend, you let them get a little vent out because it's necessary. Let them get it out. 
But when they want to continue in it, be like, hold on now, hold on. Hold on. How long are we going to stay here? See, that's why I don't tell you nothing, right? Well, don't tell me if you're going to just keep, you didn't already told me. After a while, your, oh, I feel the Lord. After a while, your offense has turned into poison in other people. And you have become, oh, my you, oh, no, 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 my you have become a channel of the enemy to contaminate the atmosphere of the church. You don't even realize you're so caught up in your offense that you don't realize you have become a demonic channel. Now the atmosphere of the church is polluted because you're angry and now you just start poisoning the other people's mind. If it's between you and that person, let it stay there. Because when your heart is right for God, hallelujah, you don't need everybody to hate who you hate. And one of your one one of the strongest revelations that some of you are gonna get, and I want you to hear me, this is gonna be a strong revelation for some of the, the people in here. It's gonna be a very strong. I'm not gonna even scream it because to scream it and say it could be too offensive. Everybody that you consider your enemy may not be God's enemy. Who you don't like actually could be favored by God I mean I know that's hard that's hard for you to believe because you can't believe that somebody could be that off and connected to God look at yourself in the mirror and how many times you've been off but greatly used mean as a snake and still anointed in your lust Some of your greatest moments in God have been in a season where you were unsubmitted. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. You don't want to be honest about it, but God, that's why when people say, oh, you're so good, you did so good, that's why some of us people think it's humility. It's not humility. It's just an honest revelation. To God be the glory. It's not me. <laughs> not in this season. It was totally God. Let me finish here. Reconciliation is evangelistic. I know, we are, I know we came to this diocese meeting and we want to learn things about our churches and how to grow them and expand them. This is it. You want to win souls? Create a culture of reconciliation. Because some people don't come to church because they don't feel like the church has the wingspan to handle all of that they are. But when they hear how we handle one another, when they bring up other churches and your language is, well, you know, no one is perfect. And, you know, well, is that your church? No, that's not my church. But, you know, you know, when you get saved, everything is not going away at the same time. It's a, it's a journey. It's a process. And they say, oh, OK. See, they was waiting for you to jump in and dog the other church. But you have to realize the world doesn't separate us. We separate ourselves with denominations and all that and organizations. The world don't separate us. So you would never have to build your ministry on the downfall of another church. Talk to me in here. It's evangelistic. The Bible says they will know we are his disciples because of how we speak in tongues. Oh, oh, did he? oh, oh I'm so sorry. Maybe I read a, a, the Amplified message. What it says, you will know they're my disciples. How? Because of the way they dress. Oh, I'm, oh, okay. 
What does it say? They will, you, they will know you are my disciples because of your love. Hear me. Not for the world. But your love for one another. That they will be standing back and saying, man, they got each other's back. Man, let me tell you something. We can preach fear and get them to fill the altar. But it won't keep them. Because this generation is not absent from the language and the feeling of fear. We know fear. We know fear. Oh, you want to win them? Excitement and hype and entertainment. That'll attract them, but it won't keep them. Because they know entertainment. They know hype. You know what this generation does not know? They don't know love. They think love is somebody controlling them. They think love is somebody abusing them. They think love is somebody cheating on them. They think love is somebody beating on them. They think love is lust. But the Bible says they will look at how y'all love one another and it'll be attractive. It will be evangelistic. That they will come in and they will sit and they will see. Because let me tell you something. People are smarter than dogs. People can walk in this room and they can sense it. They ain't got no Holy Ghost, no nothing. But they can sense if there's a division in the atmosphere. They can sense if the people don't like each other. They can sense it. Because they from the club. If they can sense it in the, mus- in the midst of darkness and lights and strobes and loud music, you think they can't sense it in here? When we say go around and greet one another and you walk all the way to the other side of the church so you don't have to speak to the person near you and in the process of trying to skip over the church person, you missed out on the visitor that was sitting near them. If you want to be evangelistic, you need to create a culture event of reconciliation. It, it's appealing. It, it says you don't have to be perfect to be a part of us. It closes the back door. Because if we create a culture that does not reconcile people, when people make mistakes, they don't run to the church. They run away. Nothing is worse than I, I ran into a brother one time and he just stopped coming to church and I texted him and I called him and I texted him and I called him and he didn't respond. And then it was over a year later. And you know, in those moments you're like, what did I do? What did I say? And I said to him, I said, hey man, what happened to you? He said, I just won't write and I didn't want to make the church look bad. I said, I said, man, I said, I'm not right. I said, I wish you would have talked to me. And I said, I'm sorry if you didn't hear it from us, but we all trying to get right. The Bible says, Isaiah 35 and 8, there's a highway called holiness. That means holiness is a journey. Holiness is progressive. So we got to make sure as we're discipling people, we let them know. Tell your neighbor, we all take turns. Mm. Reconciliation will sustain a church. Let me tell you something. Every church is going to go through something. And some of us will go through things multiple, multiple times and more times than we want to. But when you've been there for one another, when you've done life with each other, when you've walked backwards and covered each other's nakedness, Three courts are not easily broken. Now, hear me. When you've been there for one another, see, some people, some people get mad because their stuff got exposed. When the truth is, they reaped what they sowed. They sowed into the wind and they reaped the whirlwind. 
Yeah. You, 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 you always trying to spread something and bring up conversations about other people's stuff. And then when it happened to you, you want everybody, you know, see, why is everybody talking? I'm going to tell y'all saints, to be honest with you, I don't need to know everybody's details. I don't need to know. I don't need to know to pray. In order to pray, I don't need all the details. Somebody just joined our church. I don't need the 411 on there. Give them a chance. Hey, give them an opportunity to represent themselves. And ultimately, what is this? Reconciliation is the message of the gospel. It is the message of the gospel. That's a foreign word in church. Gospel. The God spell. The good news. What is that? It ain't money coming. It ain't house coming. What is the good news? The good news is that Christ, when we were, when we were sinners, Christ, not when we came to the altar, when we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the sinners. That's the gospel. And the ministry of reconciliation keeps the gospel at the center of our church culture. When it becomes prosperity, we lose the gospel. When it comes to our elevations and our titles, we lose the gospel. And now what's going to happen when you get the money, but you fall in a mess? What, what, what happens when you get the title and you find out that you've been elevated with a title, but you're still human? You better preach the gospel. I want to challenge every elder and every minister to be able to preach the unadulterated gospel. I'm talking about, can you preach the gospel without, can you preach the gospel without modern day applications? Can you preach it? Oh my God. We can, can you preach it without some, some more, some more uh, props? Can you preach it? Hallelujah. Without a screen. Can you preach the gospel? Because the Bible says it's through the foolishness of preaching. The people are getting safe. We're getting people inspired. We're getting people motivated. And we're getting people entertained. But they're not being saved because they haven't heard the gospel. How can we believe on him who we have not heard? How can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they be sent? We need to preach the gospel. We need to preach the gospel. We have taken John chapter 14 and verse 6 and we've applied it without defining it. Always apply it. Well, this means this. And this means that. David and Goliath. That means you can come up against your giant. That's good application. That is great application. But let me tell you something. The Bible is not about us. It's about Jesus. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. The giant was our sin. Hallelujah. And David was our messianic figure. Hallelujah. And the stone was his name. Glory be to God. I am the way. So if you got a bill, that means God will make a way out of no way. If you got a bill, God will make a way out of no way. If you got a doctor's appointment, God will make a way out of no way. Yes, that's good application. But don't you, if you skip 
to just application without defining it, you haven't gotten the you haven't gotten the weight of that scripture. John 14, verse 6. They said, How can we even know the way? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to a holy God except by me. What was he saying? No man can have a relationship with God except through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And if we don't adopt that theology of the truth of the gospel, we're going to be shouting and doubting. Hallelujah. We're going to be ministering and full of anxiety. Hallelujah. We're going to be prophesying and full of guilt and full of shame. Hallelujah. But when you have the gospel as the sin of your ministry, you can quote John 3.16 a whole different way. For God so love the world that means me but God so love the world that includes me that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever that means me believe on him shall not perish tell somebody that means me and shall have everlasting life that means me not just for the drug addict but even for the preacher even for the elder even for the evangelist and that's why when they come to the altar we cover them because we do for them what he did for us he said the ministry of reconciliation I reconcile you now is your job to reconcile men unto me Shh. stand I want to pray Shh. my God hallelujah if it did nothing for us we ought not preach it not working for us we are not preaching but apostle Paul says I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation what does that mean what other people threw away I got the power to salvage it I don't know about in the state of Maryland but I know in the state of Virginia that if you buy a car it's been in an accident they gotta tell you is it Maryland too but why do they need to tell you because when you look at it you can't tell Woo. Woo. hallelujah Does somebody need to lift their hands and begin to praise God because God says by the time I finish how you've been through a wreck It, it, ain't, it may not be a quick job, but when I do it, it's going to be done right, and people won't be able to take it. Hallelujah! I need you to lay hands on somebody's shoulder and tell them, by the time he finishes with me, people won't be able to tell unto salvation. In other words, I got the power to salvage you from the wreckage. Scream at somebody and tell them, I was a wreck, but he pulled me out. I was a wreck! And he rescued me. I was a wreck. And he still chose me. I was a wreck. Oh. He said, know your sins. Be a scarlet. I'll wash you. I'll wash you whiter. Wash you whiter than stone. Tell him he's pulling me right now. 
somebody else. Tell him, I played a part. But tell your neighbor, he's saving me from me. He's saving me from my bad choices. He's saving me from my proclivities. He's saving me from my imaginations. He's saving me from my wicked desires. He's saving me. And God is not intimidated. He said, I can reconcile that. Reconciliation is a financial term. Reconciliation is an accounting language. In other words, God says, I'm going to fix it where your books will be settled. Where your debts will be settled. My sins were higher than a mountain. But the Lord <laughs> sanctified me. God, he's sanctified. He's settled. And that's the good news. If I had to pay for my sins, if I had to pay for my sins, what would my outcome be? If I had to pay for my sins, I would go bankrupt and I will be incarcerated for all eternity. But thanks be to God. Hallelujah. We said salvation is free. Salvation is free to you. But he paid the debt. And if he paid the debt, the least we can do is praise him. I said the least we can do is one, two, three, four. Oh. If you're watching online, get up from your desk and work and dance. Bible says man shall not live by bread alone but every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God I pray that you are blessed by the message today and if you want to continue to get more inspirational motivational and even more gospel messages I encourage you to follow our YouTube channel or subscribe to our podcast and today we want to give you an opportunity to partner what we're doing domestically here at our local church and what we're doing all over the world there are ways to give. And remember, when you sow, that seed may leave your hand, but it'll never leave your life. The Bible declares to us that when we sow, seeds are connected to harvest. Well, I want you to remember that I know what it feels like to cry until you have no more tears left to cry. But after you finish crying, don't stop. Get up and keep going.